0: Well, good morning. morning. My name is Dave, and it is good to be here with you in live. If you are joining us in Blend, good to be with you out over there in Amped. If you're in Rhone County, hey, Todd, hey, Rhone County. If you're in Bearden, Nate, what's up? And good to see you, Bearden. And uh, yeah, we are going to be in Psalm 23 today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Psalm chapter 23. And we are through the month of November are walking through this psalm where we're going to learn to live. What does it look like to live life on full? Too often, we already talked about last week, too often this psalm is like the psalm that you just see at funerals. And it's become sad. When I was getting my education, I was in a counseling class and In the counseling class, we started talking about hospital visits and end of life kind of visits and care. And you know what Psalm the teacher said? Hey, you really should have this Psalm memorized. And we actually had to take like a quiz on it Psalm 23. Now, was she wrong? Is it comforting if you are uh, struggling, if you're in the hospital or end of life, to, to hear the words of Psalm 23? No, it is encouraging. But yet, when we read it with fresh eyes, when we look at it anew, It actually describes to us what a full, abundant life looks like. It's what we talked about in John chapter 10, verse 10. We saw it last week. When Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Isn't that pretty awesome? Like Jesus didn't come and say, I've came that you may have life and it's going to be all right. No, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly, not like someday abundantly, like right here, right now, abundantly. And Psalm chapter 23 helps us understand that, where life is not just, well, I just got to grit my teeth and make it through, and then one day I'll be in heaven, like, that'll be great. No, what does it look like to have a full life here and now? I like the way... We looked at this last week where a commentator in his, in his psalm commentary says this, James, James Hamilton writes, Yahweh, the good shepherd who led his people out of Egypt and through the wilderness to the land of promise, that same Yahweh is also the one that protected David. Yahweh, the good shepherd, then became incarnate. And Jesus, the good shepherd, has led his people out of slavery to sin by accomplishing the new and greater exodus. Jesus shepherds us through the wilderness to the new and greater land of promise, the new heavens and the new earth. Isn't that a great description? That Jesus is the one leading us. Last week, we saw that Jesus is leading, and this week, our big idea is right in line with that. Our big idea this week is, I can experience life on full when I trust, and that's going to be a key phrase, when I trust that Jesus is my provider. And we're going to see this principle through Psalm 23. So let's go ahead and jump into Psalm 23. We're actually going to start in verse 1. And we're going to recite verse 1 together. So here in this room and whatever venue you're in, we're going to say just verse 1 together because it was part of our live it out last week. We were to memorize it, okay? So here we go. Let's say it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You did it or you cheated and you read. I don't know which one it was, but hey, you did it. But the passage continues, and I'll read it for us. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Or another way that translates is, he leads me in right paths for his name's sake. As you read this, isn't this beautiful imagery? I mean, it's almost like you can picture yourself there. It's almost like you're standing in that meadow, a green meadow all around you, and and you can feel the the gentle, warm breeze, and and you hear the sounds of the bubbling brook as it kind of just trickles and meanders down the valley. You can feel the warm sun on your back, and just even describing it and reading it that way, it's like, I want to be there. You can feel the refreshing. You can feel the restoration coming over your body and over your soul. And I read that and I go, man, that sounds amazing. I want to be there. And then I look at my life and my situation and I go, I don't live there. I don't know about you, but I want to live there, but I don't. I live in the busyness and the chaos of life. I live just trying to keep up with my schedule. I don't know if anyone else does. I mean, I just try to go, what kids have what practice tonight? And I try to get them to practice on time, fighting traffic, and making sure, this is even more important, when you get them to practice, make sure they have all their gear. Or maybe you're coming today and you did everything you can just to get here. You're running late, you're flying by the seat of your pants, and you get to church, and you just go, that my kid doesn't even have shoes. <laughs> so you're dropping them off in kids' ministry going, sorry. Or you go to work day in and day out and maybe you work for a boss that just doesn't understand you, who doesn't appreciate how hard you work for the company, or maybe you're the boss and you've been busting your tail just to make ends meet and you're frustrated with your employees because they're not doing the job that you hired them to do and it makes you pick up the slack because if you don't, then all of a sudden your company's going to go under. And you all the while, all in the meantime you're trying to follow Jesus and let's just acknowledge following Jesus in the here and now is hard, and then you go And then what happens? You go to bed that night to have a pretty crummy night's sleep because you have too much going on in your head and in your heart. And so you have a horrible night's sleep just to wake up the next day and do it all over again. I don't know about you, but that's oftentimes where I feel. All right, let's go after it again today. And then I read Psalm 23, and I go, I'm definitely not living there. I think that's why there's a longing in most of our American hearts is we long for the weekend. Why? We long for the weekend just to have a little reprieve from the normal every day. We long for the vacation because we want to have a little bit of a glimpse into that Psalm 23 kind of living. So, how do we actually get there? Is this actually possible? Where it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters, He restores my soul. Is this possible? And I think it's possible. And I'm gonna go back to our big idea. I can experience life on full. I can experience this life when I trust. Trust is a huge part of this that Jesus is my provider. A key to living the abundant life is trust. Dallas Willard, in his book, he writes a book called Life Without Lack. And I'm going to be referencing that book all through this message. That was very influential as he looks at Psalm 23. And he writes in his book, faith, trust, is the key. It's the key that unlocks our readiness to receive God's sufficiency in our lives. Faith, uh, trust, it's the same concept. Faith, trust is believing God. God's abundant life comes from a place of absolute trust, absolute belief in Jesus, and this requires something of us. It demands something of us. It begins when we trust that Jesus will actually lead us. Trust requires believing that Jesus will lead me. This is what we saw last week. Uh, David, the psalmist, writes the Lord is my shepherd. And what he's declaring, he's, he's going, Jesus, Yahweh is my shepherd. He's my king. He's my ruler. He's the absolute authority in my life. And because he is this, I have nothing that I need. Jesus, in John chapter 10, picks up this theme, and he says this. He says, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So we declare, as followers of Jesus, much like the psalmist did, Jesus is my shepherd. He is my king. He's my leader. He's the one who is guiding me along the way. And because he's doing that, I lack nothing. Jesus, our shepherd, means he is our leader. And it means that we're going to actually trust that he knows where he's going. You see... I don't think we have a big problem with trust. Now, some of you hearing this may go, no, Dave, you don't understand. I got trust issues. And you may. You may have been burned a lot of times, but I would still contend that you don't have, you still trust. Here's what's going to happen after this service today. You are going to say hi to a few people Maybe you'll go over to the cafe, get a coffee, whatever. But ultimately what you're going to do is you're going to walk back out to your car and you are going to put that key in the ignition. Actually, you don't even have to do that anymore. You just like press a button now, fancy car. You're going to go out and you're going to trust that your car starts. And you're going to trust that as that car starts, you're going to drive out of here and you're going to drive to that restaurant that you wanted to go to for lunch. And you're going to trust that that lunch is going to be good. Then you're going to trust that as you get back in your car, it's going to drive you back home. And the only time that trust is broken is if you have a dead battery or something goes wrong with your car. I don't think trust is the issue. Uh, Probably six months to a year ago, my daughter had a soccer tournament in the north side of of, um, Atlanta area. And so I brought her down. My wife came down later in the afternoon and she had games all day and I had to leave to come back up here and my wife and daughter were staying down there in a hotel and it's nighttime and we're in the north side of Atlanta and I don't know my way home. I don't even know really where I'm at. So I do what I think all of us would do is you get back in your car, you pull out your smartphone, you open your Maps app and you just press that button that says what? Home. I press that button, it takes about five seconds, and it gives you three different routes. I always just choose the fastest one. Bam, hit it, I put on my country music, and I start driving. It starts, ta- and it's dark. It starts taking me down these back roads of North Georgia. <laughs> and guess what? If my phone stopped working, I would be lost. I don't know how like we used to get around without smartphones. <laughs> I don't know how everyone just wasn't lost all the time. You actually had to read a map. I don't know how to do that. But you know what? Did I ever stress? Nope. It said, hey, turn left here. You know what I did? Turn left. Did I know the name of that street? Nope. Did I care? Nope. Just turn left. And here I am. And guess what? A couple hours later, I was at my doorstep. Could I tell you how I got home that night? Nope. But I just plugged it into my phone. Why is it that I can trust a piece of plastic with an app that's been preloaded? I can trust that no problem. To drive me in the dark in a place where I don't know, and I just trust it without even thinking about it. But when it comes to Jesus, the one who created me, the one who is my shepherd, the one who is leading, guiding me, directing me, the one who knows all things, I struggle trusting him. And as I was wrestling with that this week of going, God, why do I struggle trusting you? And I think for me, it comes down to this. I don't know where you're going to take me. And I don't know if I actually want to go there. And so as I was wrestling with this, it got me thinking, if I were to actually say Psalm 23... Like, cognitively, I read that psalm, and and in my head, I go, yeah, 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 I agree with that. The Lord is my shepherd. He's the one leading me. But if I actually said this psalm in the way in which I actually live my life, it would sound a lot different. It would sound something like this. I am my own leader, and I know what I need to make my life work. I think if that, that would be the honest cry of my heart, I know what I need. I, I can lead myself, I know what I want, I know what I desire." In that same book, Dallas Willard, he has this quote in there, and when I read it, I went, "Oh my gosh, it's me." He said this: "Human desire is infinite by nature. Human desire is infinite by nature. I have infinite desire. I always want things. And it stems from the fact of I know what's good for me, and so I know what things in my life will actually make me happy and will lead me in the direction that I want to go. If I just had the bigger boat or the next level boat, the newer boat with the, with the ballast and all the things, and I, then I could really surf without a way. That would make me, that would fulfill me. But if I had that, I would need a new truck because I need a truck to be able to pull it. And if I had that, I would need the bigger house because then that would satisfy. I can put that boat in the garage and then I wouldn't have to winterize it. And if I just had the bigger TV, I have bad eyes, I really do. And I've tried to even use that to get a bigger TV. I'm like, babe, I can't see that. I think I need the, the bigger ones. She's like, no, we're okay. I just think if I just had the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, but the problem is, is human desire is infinite by nature, and all that stuff actually never really actually satisfies. So you get the new boat, and guess what happens? In three to five years, it's old. You get the new truck, and what happens? It starts getting miles racked up on it, and then you keep having to take it to the shop still, like every other car you've ever had. It doesn't actually satisfy, and what does it lead to? It leads to, I want the next thing, I want the next thing, because I want to make my life work. And what that shows is that I don't actually have a trust in Jesus, that he is the one actually leading me. To experience life on full despite our situations, it means that we trust that Jesus, our good shepherd, He is the one who's actually leading us and He knows where He's going. And if He is actually leading us, it requires us to trust that Jesus is going to provide for me as well. I got to trust that He is going to be providing for me. Now, sheep, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. It, it by even saying shepherd, it means that we're sheep. And let's acknowledge sheep. They ain't very smart, are they? I mean, think about a sheep. They have no defensive mechanism. Plants have defensive mechanisms, sheep don't. You wanna know the sheep's defensive mechanism? The flock. Danger, run into the flock. And if that doesn't work, the only other defensive mechanism a sheep has is to run away. And as a sheep, you got to be going, i got to be faster than the sheep next to me because it's my only way out. Sheep have no defense. And you know what? They can't actually even lead themselves. They won't lay down. They won't relax. They actually don't have a great sense of being able to find good food and water for them. They'll just wander to their death. In a book, uh, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 An author, Philip Keller, writes about his experience as a shepherd, and he essentially writes that in order for sheep to lay down and to relax, there's several things that has to take place. There has to, they have to be, they have to be free of any fear of a predator. They can't have fear. Uh, There can't be any friction amongst the flock. If there's friction amongst the flock, they won't lay down. They have to be free of being pestered by flies. If flies are just circling and bothering them, they won't relax, they won't lay down. And they have to be free of hunger. If they have hunger, they'll never relax or lay down. So a sheep is absolutely dependent upon a shepherd to provide free of being fearful. They have to be free of being hungry. They have to be free of the friction in the flock. They have to be free of flies. And they are completely dependent upon the shepherd, that the shepherd is going to provide all of those things for them. Now, I'm not saying that we are exactly like sheep. The Bible does. (laughs) It's not me. Because I'm a sheep too. And what it is telling us is that we have to be completely dependent upon the shepherd to take care of us so that we can actually enter rest, that we can actually have refreshment in the life, that we can actually experience restoration. The good shepherd is going to provide all that. But what does that mean? That if we follow Jesus, that he's going to provide for our physical needs? And I would say, yes, yeah, if we're following Jesus, I'm going to trust that He's going to provide all the physical needs that I, that I need. Not all the physical things I want, but all the things that I truly actually need. But if we stop there, if we say Jesus is our good shepherd, he's leading us, he's providing for us, and he's giving me all the physical things that I actually need. If we just stop there, I think we're missing out on the imagery that is being talked about here. Jesus not only provides for us physically, but he also provides for us in our deepest needs emotionally and spiritually. He satisfies those things. And before we move on to the final thing, I, I, I want to give a little disclaimer that God, Yahweh God, can do whatever God wants to do, can't he? He doesn't need to ask us for permission. So if he wants to provide for you by sending a check to you in the mail because you've been struggling and you've been crying out, God, I don't even know how I'm going to make rent this month. And a check comes in the mail and you go, oh my gosh, God, you provided for me. Or maybe you've been struggling and you've been walking through the deep valley that we're going to be looking at in the next week or so. And all of a sudden, a text message comes from a friend that says, hey, you just came across my mind and I was praying for you. And all of a sudden, God meets you there. Can God do all of those things? Yes, and he does. But ultimately, what I want us to know is that trust reveals that Jesus is Jesus himself is my provision. Jesus is the provision that we need. Jesus, as the good shepherd, knows what our ultimate need is, and our ultimate need is him. It reminds me of Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, Moses is, he's a shepherd of sorts, and he's out with his flock, and he's out in the middle of a desert kind of land area, and he sees a bush on fire. Remember this story? And God calls to him from the burning bush, and he says, Moses, take off your shoes for the place you're standing, it's holy ground. So Moses takes off his shoes, and God speaks to him from the burning bush, and he says, Hey, Moses, I'm choosing you. You are going to be the one. You're going to go back to Egypt, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to lead my people out of the land of slavery. I've heard their cries. I've heard their groanings, and you're my guy, Moses. You're going to do it. And do you remember what Moses did? He asked God a question. He said, who am I that I should go back? I don't exactly have a good reputation there, God, in case you don't remember. Let me remind you of a few things. I killed a dude back there. Bad news, they're after me. Who am I that I should go? And you know what's fascinating? God doesn't even entertain the question of who am I because it doesn't matter. God chose him and God says, yeah, Moses, that's beside the point, I'm with you. My presence is going with you. And because my presence is going with you, you have everything you need to accomplish what I'm sending you out to do. God's God's solution to our deepest need is always himself. So if we understand that, that will shape the way in which we read Psalm 23, 1 through 3. Jesus is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Why? Because he's given everything for me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me down right paths for his name's sake. Look at all the things he does. And when we understand that he is our provision, when we are close to the shepherd, when we're connected to Jesus, it's not that we need a green valley. It's not that we need a vacation. We need Jesus. And when we're close to Jesus, we experience the rest and restoration and refreshment to our soul that our soul needs. It's only in staying close to the shepherd. But that kind of trust... It's a really big trust, isn't it? That's a really big trust. And as I was studying for this message and I was reading through Dallas Willard's book, he actually gives a grid for faith, for trust. And as I went through this grid, I found it extremely helpful to go, oh, there's a progression of trust. Now, trust is a gift from God. He he gives it. And he loves when we trust him. And so I'm going to give you a a grid of three ways that most of us often trust God. And I want you to hear something. They are not bad, okay? So it it is a grid that kind of builds on itself. and, And I think if we were honest with ourselves, we would identify ourselves in one of these three areas. And I don't want you to hear, I'm in this one, that's the bad one okay? God loves to bless. And because he loves to bless, if you show a sign of trusting him, he's going to bless it. So the, the grid of trust that Dallas Willard works through is this. The first one is this. It's a trust of propriety. Now, that word propriety, that's a weird word. The only time I ever hear that word propriety is when uh, my family watches the movie Pride and Prejudice. That's the only time I've ever really heard the word propriety. It sounds very British. What does it mean? It means you do the right thing. Uh, I act in the right way. And the trust of propriety says this. God, I trust you, and because I trust you, I am going to do the right thing, and because I do the right thing, then you are going to do the right thing by me. It's almost like, it's almost like this deal we have with God. God, I trust you. I'm going to do right, and when I do right, you're going to do right for me. It's kind of this quid pro quo thing. I'll do my part, God, and you do your part, and and we'll live in this happy, great kind of relationship. And I think, honestly, a lot of Christians, followers of Jesus, relate with God that way. I'm doing the right thing. God, you're going to do the right thing by me. And you know what? The truth is, it works until it doesn't. It works until we think we've been doing the right thing. And all of a sudden, the rug gets pulled out from under us. And we look at God and we go, hold on a second, God. I did the right thing. I, did, I lived the right way. I made the right decisions. I'm serving you. I'm following you. I did the right things. And the rug is still pulled out from under me. You didn't uphold your end of the bargain." And it's in this moment that we have a crisis of faith, a crisis of trust. And it's in this moment that we will turn one of two ways. We will either say, I'm out of here. God didn't hold up his end of the bargain. And being in ministry, as long as I've had through youth ministry, through adult ministry, this is oftentimes where people say, I tried Christianity and it didn't work for me. Because I did my part. God, you didn't do your part. But it can lead us one of two ways. When the rug is pulled out from under us, it can lead us to a place of going, I'm out of here, or it can lead us to a place of greater trust. And it's the trust that Dallas Willow calls the trust of desperation. When the walls crumble down and the earth is shaken beneath us and it seems like everything that we knew in our life is crumbling down around us, It leads us to a place with God to go, God, I've got nothing else to do. I've got nowhere else to go, but I'm going to trust you. I don't understand anything that's happening right now. I don't get why you didn't hold up your end of the bargain. But I'm going to trust you in the midst of it. A trust of desperation has a grit to it has a grit that says, no matter what happens, I'm going to just hold on to him because he's all I've got. A few years ago, my family went through a crisis. And it, was, it exposed my heart as a dad. Where I always thought, God, I'm just going to do the right things and it's just going to turn out the way I want it to go. And when things didn't turn out the way I wanted them to go or the way I thought they should go, it led me to a conflict to go, you know what, as a dad, I don't have all the answers. I don't have all this figured out. And I went to God going, God, I don't know why this is happening. I don't even know what to do. I don't know how to lead my family through this. I don't know. God, I'm desperate for you. And I found myself in the time just clinging to God, going, God, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know what's going to happen even in the midst of this, but I got, I got nothing else, so I'm going to hold on tight to you. And it's a waking up every day going, and you wake up to the nightmare again, and you just cling to him one day more going, God, I don't know how this is going to work, but I trust you. It's in this faith of desperation That God actually meets us. Dallas Willard writes this about the faith of desperation. When you have nowhere else to turn except to God, and you turn to him, your faith of desperation, listen to this, will meet the fullness of God. And you will taste the life without lack as you discover the depths of the faith of sufficiency. When you cling to Yahweh, when you cling to Jesus as the shepherd of your soul, He meets you in all His fullness. And you know what happens? Your situation may not change, but you're changed in the midst of your situation. Because you encounter the fullness of God and it takes us to a place that Dallas Willard calls the trust of sufficiency. And the trust of sufficiency says this, it doesn't matter. I have God and that's all I need. And that's all I need. And to be honest, I want to know God this way. I want to say that I live there all the time, but the truth is I don't live there all the time. I actually find myself kind of weaving my way through these things. I don't know about you. That it's simple for me to go back to the trust of propriety of saying, if I do the right thing, God, you're going to do the right thing. But then when it doesn't work out that way, to find myself gripping again, going, God, I don't know, I'm going to hold on. And then that realization of when I trust you in those moments of desperation, I find that you're all I have and you're enough. You are all I need. You see, when we trust that Jesus is leading us, We're going to trust that he provides for us. Why can we trust that? Because he's given everything for us. He gave his very life for us. And because of that, we have all we need to live a full life, even in the midst of the hard. We can live life on full in the good times, in the hard times. Why? Because Jesus is enough. So what do we do with that this week? The first thing is that we're going to follow Jesus together by doing the live it out. We're going to dive further into this, of of asking God questions this week, of engaging with God. Because the way that we know the shepherd, the way that we know that he is sufficient in our lives is by staying close to him. When he leads, we stay right next to him. And the live it out is a tool for us to stay right with our shepherd, to be in lockstep with where he's going. And when we're in lockstep and close to him, when we walk through the deep valley, when we walk through those times of desperation, when we are close to the shepherd and he takes us by the hand, we realize in those moments he's enough. And the only way that we can prepare for those times of desperation is by living faithfully day in, day out in the mundane. So that way, when the rug is pulled out from under us, in that moment, we've trained ourselves to go, I trust you. The live it out is a way for us to practice that together. But what we're going to do today is that I want to engage with God with a question. Questions are a great way for us to interact with God it's a great way for us to interact in the normal, mundane parts of life. Why? Because we we know that the Holy Spirit communicates with us. So, I, I know this is new for some of you. We're gonna, ask, we're gonna ask Jesus a question here in a minute. And I know this for some of you this is new. And you're like, wait, 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 I expect an answer? Yeah, God communicates. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. When, when I ask that question, we're going to give you a chance to reflect. And whatever is the first things that begin to come across your mind, it might be a phrase. It might be these, a sentence that comes to your mind. It might be a passage of scripture. Write it down. It might be, you might start thinking about something. You're like, oh, I'm not very spiritual. I'm thinking about something random. Ask God the next question. Why am I thinking about that? Write it down. Don't discount the things that come to your mind. Why? Because when we ask God a question, we expect that he's going to communicate back, and oftentimes it passes directly through our minds. So here's the question that we're going to ask Jesus today. The question is this. Where are you calling me to trust you as my provision? Where are you calling me to trust you as my provision So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to give you about 30 seconds a minute to process with God that question. So Jesus, we come, and we say, you are our provision, you're our provider. And so we trust that even now, you're going to speak to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.